1: less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com/justbreakup50 to get 50% off.
0: This episode is brought to you by some of our amazing patrons over on Patreon. We want to say thank you to Sarah, Heather Benchavango and Amy
1: we want to say thank you to Yvette Chua, Crystal Davis, and Gwenelle Monon.
0: Thank you to Audrey, Ashley Webb, and Allie Henderson.
1: Thank you to Kathy Ploman. Hi, Aunt Kathy. <laughs> Allie Jarros and Lily Brown.
0: Thank you so much to Nell Renee, Madison McFan, and Katie Sharp.
1: And thank you to Kim Lillig, Allison Muller, and Miranda Butler. If you would like your name shouted out on one of our episodes, you can support us on Patreon for $10 a month. If you do that, you will also get a video of our weekly bonus Patreon episode, so you can see what Sierra and I look like when we talk, which apparently is really fun for everyone. So that's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod.
0: Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMulder
1: and I'm Sam Blackwell. (laughs) This week we're going (laughs) to tackle topics like standards of cleanliness, not moving at the same speed, and having homophobic parents. Mm. But before we begin we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning which is that we are not licensed mental health practitioners in any way and my therapist probably like turns over in his every time he thinks that i am out here my therapist turns over
0: in his grave because he's a vampire
1: (laughs) my therapist does because she is dead
0: oh my god oh my god samuel Samuel. Uh, it is too early in the day first of all it is two o'clock in the afternoon it is still too early in the day for you to make that joke
1: uh, <laughs> Listen, if I can't make the joke, I,
0: if love I anyone can make the
1: joke. It's me. I'm, I love because I'm did. the one that's going through that <laughs> okay. trauma. And
0: 20 percent anyway. <laughs> of our audience knows what the fuck we're talking about right now. But <laughs> moving on, um, yes, yeah, Sam is correct. We are not professionals. We are not trained in this. We're just two, you know, people with microphones. So please take our advice as you see fit. We're only here to offer our our ever humble opinions or musings. To hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love.
1: Okay, so our check-in for this episode is inspired by a letter. Um, so this comes from, I promise I'm not a 50s housewife, um, <laughs> who whose pronouns are she, her, and who's writing from the void. Um, and basically this check-in topic is, what do you think about getting married young? Mm. So this person is like, I get that there's like a, you know, you don't want to rush into things, but like my partner and I are in therapy. We have like done the work together. We've been together for four for four years. They're both in their early 20s. Okay. Um, they know how to communicate, they know how to argue with each other, right? They're they're both feeling really good about it. Um, and they're just they don't think they're approaching this from a scarcity mindset, mm. right? They're thinking like this is the person I want to be with. It's not that I'm afraid uh, that I am going to lose this person. Like I really just want to spend the rest of my life with this this person. And there's basically like, I'm worried that, that like the external judgment is causing me to doubt myself Mm. in ways that like aren't helpful for me. So does that mean that I'm not ready to get married or is it a bad thing to be this sure, this young about who you want to spend the rest of your life with, or at least Mm. the immediate future with?
0: I'm so excited to answer this question. Honestly, there's two, there's going to be two moments in this episode in which I get to like eat my words (laughs) from past episodes. And this is the first one. I'm excited to check in with this topic because I know in the past I've expressed apprehension about people who, about young marriages or like Mm -hmm. not wanting our younger listeners to rush into anything. And while I still have those, genuine and like um heartfelt concerns you know meaning i j- i have i just want our listeners to live their best and healthiest life you know like it comes from a genuine okay. place i am happy to have the opportunity to say that like every stigma is harmful in from whatever d- direction it comes from and i know okay. that i have contributed in the past to the stigma that young people if they get married young are like irresponsible and rushing into mm-hmm. things like that's, mm-hmm. that's equally as harmful um, as, as other things, you know, harmful, particularly because uh shame can really steal joy from us in present moments um, that wouldn't otherwise be taken from us. Honestly, it's a, a comparable thing that I can share from my personal life is like I got married My wife and I got engaged a year and a half after dating and we got married six months later. Granted, it was going to be eight months later, but was canceled because of COVID. But like, I got married after being with my partner for two years. Like we got married the the weekend of our two year anniversary. And at Mm -hmm. fucking in my mid thirties, I felt anxiety that my community, like my friends and family would like. Judge us for rushing in, or would mm-hmm. make lesbian U-Haul jokes, or whatever. I felt that in my th- in my fucking thirties, like as a fully formed adult human, <laughs> you know. Uh huh. Um, and I I have no regrets, but I do wish that I didn't waste my energy worrying about something that literally took joy from me. So I feel. Mm. That's why I feel excited or grateful to answer this question. I I also want to touch on my apprehensions about early or younger marriages, but I I think I first and foremost, foremost I want to say that that like to our letter writer specifically, you are the only person who knows your life and more than anything in the world, I don't want external forces to take joy from you.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, I totally agree and I think I think that we use like don't marry young as a as a proxy for what we're actually talking about, which is yes. all the stuff that you addressed in your letter of like, yes. um, are you able to communicate with each other? Are you able to argue with each other in ways that doesn't like blow up or like cause you to lash out? Are you doing the work to not be sort of in a scarcity mindset, right? Like there's absolutely, those are the things that are actually more important, right? Those are the the, the competencies i guess that we're like looking for or that we want to encourage folks to be practicing but if you figured out that how to do that in your early 20s like great (laughs) oh my god i'm jealous because i (laughs) wish that i had been able to like figure out how to do those things in my early 20s it would have saved me a lot of time of like just bumbling around being really um awful at loving people yeah um but the fact that you're able to do that in your early 20s is totally fine. Like, that's great. And also, right, remember, too, that we that relationships aren't successful because they're long-lasting either, right? Like, I think one of the wonderful things about this podcast that has taught me is that, like, uh, we don't have to assume what success looks like in, in relationships either, right. right? And so, like the idea that like more marriages who marry young and in divorce is like not a statistic that I'm interested in. And I don't think it's actually a helpful one. Right. Like, cause if like, however you experience this relationship is going to be the way that you need to experience this relationship. And so like, keep going, keep, do what you need to do. Like you are the person, you are the expert in your own experience. Your partner is the expert in their own experience. So like. If y'all yeah. want to get married and you are ready for it and you're feeling like yes, let's do this, like don't let the haters bring you down. Yeah. I, like I don't listen to me and Sierra and, and that <laughs> yeah. like episode four or whatever. Like that's all bullshit. <laughs> Who cares? Like <laughs> life's too short. You know what I mean? Like we're all gonna yeah. die very soon. So like, just
0: wow, just same like if you want to get married, in this episode, <laughs> and I'm here for it. If um, you want to get
1: married, get married.
0: Well, and I that is the end-all, be-all of my advice. The path that I take to get there is, uh, I'll say this, like, pragmatically, an outsider perspective, your, you know, queer aunt telling you, um, this is my reflection on being 20 once. Um, I think that why I have those hesitancies or like um, like Sam said, the, the proxy to all... Uh, a hesitancy to for people to get married young is just a proxy to, to ab- about other issues, and I think some of the the forefront things for me is just like ge- like this sounds wild, and it's just true, but like general, personal, and like brain development, <laughs> mm-hmm. like um how much I changed as a living, breathing thing from age eighteen to fuck twenty eight, you know. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel unrecognizable from who I was five years ago. I feel undefinable (laughs) in terms of an association with who I was at 20 and 21 and 22. And and I think why the stigma against young marriage exists is because so many of our elders and so many of our community members got married young, became different people and didn't have the tools and the luck that it takes to grow together, you know, because it is it, it's tools, it's resources, it's time, it's it's commitment. And it's a little bit of luck, too, that you happen to mm-hmm. grow into people that you want to still be with. Um, So that's my hesitancy. It's just like I change so much, but that's coming from me, a highly anxious and insecure person. And I don't mean insecure as in like, oh, I'm not pretty. I mean, this inner security that I am seeking every day now was almost non-existent when I was younger. I didn't have mm-hmm. the stability to grow something that was secure enough to, to turn into a marriage, but that doesn't mean other people can't. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And the other thing I will say, just as someone who is a romantic and who is susceptible to romantic yearnings <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and to societal, like, I don't know, not pressure, but just like the way um, the narratives in society can make us feel like we're lacking something, even when we're not. Like, fuck, man, I have been on Pinterest. That shit looks romantic as hell. Like a, you know, a be like, I didn't get to have the wedding that I wanted because of COVID, and I and I want it. I still want it. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I would just make sure that on those list of those things that you're checking off when you're thinking about getting married think about make sure that the the well now i'm hesitating i was just gonna say sorry y'all i was going to say like make sure that the yearning to have like a big romantic party isn't like your primary motivation but i'm also my hesitancy, hesitancy was like people are also allowed to like want and get things they want <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to get married, to have a big romantic party, like fuck, who am I to stop you? Um, For sure. I guess. I guess. Like, I think that there is a societal pressure that comes along with that, and a, and a sense of lacking that even comes up in in me at times. And um, does that all make sense? Can you do that thing where you like sit, make what I say like more articulate?
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, I think I'll just like reinforce that the doubt that your experience is probably coming from some of those things of like young people are overly romantic or young people are ill-equipped to be in relationships or whatever it is, which is true for some young people. Like Sierra true and I- True for
0: adults. If,
1: if we Yeah, exactly. If we had gotten married when we were 22, it would have we been We would be divorced, awful.
0: which is fine. Divorce is also okay. Is also That's fine. the other thing, is that we fear yeah. divorce. Right. Well, it's like all relationships either- last forever or or they break up yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly (laughs) that's the that's it (laughs) as though like Uh anyway continue I'm sorry
1: (laughs) no but it sounds like from your letter you're feeling really confident about this so don't let what Sierra and I said or what other people are saying about young people in relationship to affect that or to make you question yourself yeah you know what you want to do and Again, it sounds like you're a very different person than who Sierra yeah. and I were in in our early twenties, and so don't let our experiences of it or our opinions about what we would have done if we had gotten married as young people affect the burn. fact that you are because you're you're a different person.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like such an amazing thing coming from two people who give advice, but the idea that like we what we think is right for us is never is never wholly applicable to other people, period. Mm-hmm. Even if we mm-hmm. had the worst experience with marriage ever, we can never truly say that another person's marriage is a bad idea or in whatever right. thing.
1: I mean, there are times when you can truly say that. <laughs> okay. On that <laughs> Listen,
0: note, I've let's, watched, let's I've move watched on. I've watched enough
1: Housewives. <laughs> I can I can tell you that some of those were <laughs> bad ideas.
0: <laughs> oh, I love you. All right. Huh? Uh. Honestly, though, um, to our little 50s housewife or not 50s housewife, thank you so much for that letter and for giving us the opportunity to, I don't know, like apologize to you, yeah. <laughs> but also like com- uh, <clears throat> talk about that. I think it's a really interesting thing to, re- to reflect back on, you know, three years into our podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to get into some letters? Let's do it. Our first letter comes to us from Martha Stewart, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from my clean and tidy side of the room. (laughs) Hi, Sam and Sierra. I'm in what feels like a silly dilemma, so I'll get right to the point. My partner is messy and doesn't realize it. We moved in together about a year ago, and while I love living together and I love them, I have such a hard time living with different cleanliness standards. They are self identifying minimalist. And don't own a lot of things. Three pairs of pants, a handful of shirts, and they strongly believe in only having one set of silverware. I, on the other hand, while I don't accumulate a lot of things, I love tchotchkes and call my style eclectic. I like things, but I prefer all of my things organized and neatly put away. My partner has often made jokes about how I'm the messy one or how how I have so many things, which really gets to me because I'm proud of the way I keep things clean and neat. Bluntly put, they think that they are clean and neat, while I, on the other hand, am not. However, this couldn't be further from the truth. I recently came back from a month-long trip away and was really disappointed that I came home to dirty dishes, dusty floors, a non-working dishwasher because it was so clogged from food, I talked to them in the past about our different cleaning expectation, and they seem to be understanding. I set up a new cleaning plan where we would get different tasks that we each don't mind doing. I like washing the dishes, so that's my job. Well, they like vacuuming, so they vacuum. However, I feel like I'm always reminding them to do their jobs and sometimes end up just doing the tasks so it's done rather than having to nag them and live in a dirty house. They have a demanding job and are really busy, so when they come home from work, they just want to relax and don't want to put a beer bottle in the recycling bin right away. I'm all right compromising a bit and taking on a little more since I have a higher slash different standards, but it feels like it always falls on me and I end up feeling resentful as I clean. I don't want to be an angry cleaner. I love cleaning. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Please, Sam and Sierra, help me figure out how to talk to my partner about this. Is it okay to tell them they just need to pick up the slack when they think they are already doing it? How do I explain this without coming across as angry, which I low-key am, or blaming them? I just want to feel like we're working together towards a goal, and sometimes it feels like they don't value our shared space or me enough to take care of it. It's all especially confounded by the fact that they think that they are neat Am I being gaslit or am I just not seeing the work that they're putting in? Thank you for your help. Even if you don't read this letter, it's very cathartic to put, write it out. Love, Martha Stewart. Oh, Martha Stewart, we love you so much. Thank you so much for writing. Um, I, I love this question. I think it's adorable and relatable and <laughs> pertinent to like probably so many interpersonal relationships out there. Mm. Have you experienced something like this in the past?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that I think in every relationship I've ever been in, there have been different standards of cleanliness between mm, me interesting. and my partner. Um, and I think it's important to name that. Um, the fact that there is no universal standard for cleanliness and the ways that we are taught to keep our spaces clean and neat and tidy are our own. And yeah. they are not other people's. Um, and so I think, you know, owning the fact that you have some particular expectations around how you like your space to be um, and recognize the fact that those are going to be different for your partner. Um, No matter who that partner is, like we are all different in this understanding of what cleanliness is because none of us were raised the exact same way and none of us are from the same places and none of us have the same levels of anxiety around, around cleanliness as well. So like just want to name that and, and give people like the opportunity for some, Mm Some space for themselves to recognize like, oh, it's not that I'm crazy. It's that we're just operating under different understandings of what cleanliness is. (laughs) Totally. And that's okay.
0: I think this is a really valid letter, too, because it's obvious that the letter writer is really working to understand those different realities. And Uh um, I love that they wrote. um, I don't. Want to come across as angry um, because it is resentment, man, and unbalanced dynamics in relationships like this can really lead to us like blowing up or um, maybe communicating in a way that doesn't authentically translate to how we feel about our partner or what we're valuing, you know um but man sometimes it can be hard (laughs) if you're like Mm -hmm. just take your fucking shoes off after you get home from doing that dirty thing willow (laughs) just kidding don't
1: wear your outside shoes inside sierra
0: (laughs) excuse me we have different jesus christ i cannot believe you're bringing this out of the podcast right now damn rags on me because i wear my shoes in my house we just do that I'm sorry. (laughs) And Samuel, Mr. Everybody's got to give a different cleanliness standard over here, brings this into the podcast space, which means he's choosing (laughs) violence today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if it wasn't clear from everything I've said in this episode, I'm choosing violence today.
0: (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. Facts. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying before, I was so unjustly dragged <laughs> through the mud in my indoor/outdoor ch- shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, when it comes to compromising or or communicating about these different t- power dynamics, when it comes to personal cleanliness, um, I think the first thing to check in with is what Sam talked about: the reality, like okay. I'm not being gaslit. They're just functioning under a different level of rules and standards than me. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. it feels like I'm crazy. That's why I feel like I'm be- being like, this doesn't make sense because yep. I'm trying to make an equation work w- like like you're trying to make an equation work with their colors into your numerical equation, right? Not going to work. Colors right. and numbers don't match.
1: Mm-hmm. Even though except we for think they do. By numbers.
0: Right? What'd you say?
1: I said, except for paint by numbers. <laughs> That's
0: cute. Um, (laughs) The second thing I want you to think about um, and just like sit tight because I am going to like talk about how it is important for you to talk about this. But first, I just want to say a good thing you two can do to de-escalate this resentment is to just say like, okay, does this cleanliness directly relate to my core happiness in life? Mm Mm-hmm. And if it does, that's valid. And if it doesn't, that's valid. But I want you to check into like why why I want you to do this is not because it's not important, not because I don't want you to talk to your partner about it. I do. I want you to to, like you said, work as a team to to prioritize the things that are important to both of you. But a good thing that de-escalates those feelings of resentment and de-escalates those feelings of like mismatched alignment is just remembering. Like, is this is this one of the core things that brings me happiness in my relationship? Is this is this one of the core things that I would? Um, is this the hill I want to die on? Is the phrase right? And I don't mm-hmm. mean that to devalue these feelings. I just want to put them in. I want to put them in their place. Put them in their perspective. They are important, but they are not life threatening to your relationship. And and mm. with that perspective, we can look at that problem with like our let's get it done gloves on and not like this is this is gonna I can't I'm trying to think of a joke man but like I got fucking nothing
1: (laughs) I just like was like waiting I I know we're gonna get there
0: it was just there and then it just like wasn't there and I'm just trying to like be my hashtag authentic self y'all Yeah. so this is my authenticity (laughs) I don't have anything to say (laughs)
1: Perfect. It's great that we have this podcast and you have nothing to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, does all that make sense? Like.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of times, like, like,
0: my brain, like, loves to be, loves to catastrophize things, you know? mm -hmm. And this, this, this issue is important. This issue is worth talking about. It's worth arguing about. Yep. But I'm not going to let it sit on my heart in a way that takes over my happiness. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. No, I think that's that's great. And also, I I love that you call out, you know, that you are feeling like what this is telling you is that they don't care about your shared space. It's telling you that you're not working together towards a goal. Right. Those are all really um, important things to know about what this conflict is telling you. And it's important for you to recognize that, like, those are symbolic conflicts that are happening right there where you're sort of reading into and not reading into in a bad way to be clear you are you are interpreting what they're doing in a particular way and they might be experiencing this as not a symbolic conflict where it is about sort of like the dishes aren't clean and that's it like end of conflict right like end of the problem and so I think it is important for you to tell them how this is making you feel And say so that they can either uh, reassure you like I super care about this shared space. I didn't know that this was happening. And so that they can they can trust you or you can trust them that they care about this the shared space that they are wanting to work towards a goal with you. And maybe this just isn't their goal. Right. They're like, I don't really care that much about how many dishes are in the sink or whether or not things have been dusted. Like it doesn't matter to me. And that's not like where I want to put my energy. Yeah. And two, at the same time recognizing. Nope, I lost it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Go ahead. Say <laughs> so whatever you're going to say. It'll come back.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, we're going to leave this in because hashtag authenticity. <laughs> OK, this is what I was going to say. What Sam just said, some of that language is verbatim what you can say to your partner, you know, pull the mm-hmm. Brene Brown and say, This I know this isn't true, But the story that this is that I'm telling myself about this cleaning inequity or whatever it is, um, is that you don't care about our that you don't care about our lives, our shared space and you don't care about me. I know this isn't true, but my my anxiety and my stress is is telling me that and Mm -hmm. I need something to change. I need your help changing that dynamic, Um, whether we change the way we do house or change the way we talk about them or, or whatnot. But I need your help on this. I want you to be my teammate on this. Another thing I want Absolutely. you to directly say explicitly and unapologetically, you don't have to be like harsh about this, but you can say uh, s- something else that is adding to my stress about our different cleanliness, um, you know, experiences, is that when we have tried to tackle them in the past – You seem open to them, but then I end up always having to either remind you um, or do them myself because I I just want them done. And that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel like an equitable, healthy thing for me. It just doesn't doesn't sit well in my heart. It's not good for our relationship. And I'd really love um, for me to not have to remind you to do the half that you agreed to. You agreed to this earlier. How can we amend it to make it more applicable or accomplishable, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean I would even say in that situation, I would I would approach it with even more curiosity and say that's a great I idea I know that we've actually. I've agreed to these things and I find myself having to remind you to do those things. Is that reminder helpful? Is that reminder something that you're looking for to be sort of to be reminded to do it? Like that's your cue that that it needs to be done? Or is it coming across as me being mean or controlling or manipulative? Like what is what's happening here? That's requiring that's that right. This is the situation that's playing out. I'm telling myself stories about it, which you are, which is to say that you feel like a nag, which like, let's be honest, is like a narrative that that we have been told about housework is that there's one person who's the nag, usually the woman. And then the the lazy partner, who is usually the man who does not do the work, and then like the woman is like, oh my god,
0: meh, meh, Sam. Meh, meh. And he's like, I read like, an article bleh, about bleh, that. Bleh, bleh, bleh. I read an article about that. And how I'm men so...
1: pretend to be inept because to get out of having to do housework. It's called.
0: It's called <laughs> um, weaponized ineptitude.
1: Yes. Isn't yeah, that no, so I've... smart? I've...
0: Like, Let me tell oh, you, I don't know I'm how to a... change a diaper, <laughs> bitch. Learn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> Right. And yes, of course. So that is absolutely true. That, that is a reality. There is also an overriding, like universal narrative about that, which is not true. Right. Because there are relationships where our relationship, right. Like I remind Peter to do things all the time. He asks me to do things all the time and neither of us is upset about it. Right. It's just like, oh, thank you for the reminder. Or like, yeah, I'm getting to that. Like we both have, we both understand that we're doing this reminding of each other in good faith And maybe that is how your partner is experiencing your reminders. That could absolutely be true. And you don't know that until you ask those questions. So this is a conversation that you can have with your partner about the symbolic nature of the conflict that you're having. What does it feel like for you based on the fact that they're not cleaning in the same way that you do? And being really curious of like, we have this system that's happening right now. I'm telling myself a lot of stories about it. And so it's not super working for me. But is it is this something that we could come to agreement to where it's like there isn't emotional fraught here or fraughtness here? It's just happening. And it's mm, OK that it's happening. Wow. You can ask people to do things for you without being an egg. It's like that's just reality. <laughs> like, that
0: is straight up like triggering for me in a in a good way. <laughs> like I'm I'm growing right now in the podcast as we speak, especially when you drop the word curious. Like that is such a good thing for me to remember because. Number one, I am the messier person in my partner, and I'm just generally more sensitive to critiques. I, I, I put all of my best effort towards not internalizing and not becoming a victim or like you know, it, whatever. It's my lifelong journey to not be such a sensitive schmuck, but um, but I am. I'm just like a little tenderhearted thing, and so when Willow addresses some like. She needs my help doing the dishes more or pick up dog poop in the backyard or whatever. My first thought is that I go into defensive mode. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. right now I'm, I'm processing the two things you just said, like one, that these don't have to be fraught. This doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that your partner loves you less. This doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you're a bad partner or that you're dirty or that you're, I don't know, worthless or whatever it is. This doesn't mean that they don't like you. You're not letting them down, you know, like it doesn't have to mean what our narratives are telling us to me. It it means, and that goes both ways to the messy person, to the person who wants the messy person to be cleaner, you know? And Mm -hmm. then the, and then the thing you said about curiosity is like, what's so amazing is that this whole, the first 20 minutes of this episode, I wasn't thinking about curiosity once. I wasn't thinking about what this partner Why this partner had this cleanliness level, why they needed the reminders or didn't do it right away, whether it's personal preference or for me, it's a lot of my like childhood training, you know, like Mm -hmm. what I was, how I was taught to be clean when I was younger versus now. And a lot of times, like I genuinely do like the reminders and I genuinely do need that structure a little bit more than say my partner does. In the past, that has been a sensitive thing like that. I don't just do it. And she (laughs) she does. Um, But I really I really love what you said about all that. I just I feel like I'm reveling in it right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's really what we're talking about here is that there's there's different cultural experiences that you are both having in this relationship and the best way to 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 bridge those cultural differences around cleanliness, because that's like a huge thing that is like so ingrained in how we were brought up is to practice uh, curiosity, not just with your partner, but also with yourself too. Yeah, Like who taught me that I have to dust every week or that visible dust on the television screen is, is a problem or that like having dishes in the sink is a problem, right? Like where did I learn that from? Is that universal or is that something that I've been taught and is it okay to operate in a different way and say like, you know what, the dishes can live in the sink for 24 hours and we'll right. like get to them at some point. Or is it okay for you to say like, this is really important to yes. me and how can I help support us in getting this done? Either I'll do it or I would love, I know that you want to yes. help support us and like have a stake in this, in this house So I might ask you to do it. Is that okay? Is that a good way to do it? What are some of the ways that I can help remind you? Or what are your experiences of these conversations we're having, right? Just asking a lot of questions. That's how we get to a point where we can more fully understand ourselves and our partners.
0: And I'm glad you added that thing about like, and if it does matter, if it is a thing that is, like I said at the beginning, directly associated to your, not just happiness, but your peace, right? You want to come home to a Mm -hmm. clean house. That makes sense. That that is what a lot of people seek out in their life to to create an atmosphere that is peaceful. Then that's just as valid too, right? That 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 Absolutely. deserves to take up space in your relationship, in the conversations of your relationship, and how you problem solve together as a team. Absolutely. All right, my darling Martha Stewart, love your show. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding i don't think so sorry about that
1: prison stint that you had to do that was a real bummer But like
0: tax the rich you deserved it (laughs) (laughs) uh all right martha stewart we love you so much and we hope this helps
1: thank you so much for writing Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do.
0: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup.
1: All right. Our next letter comes from Anxiously Attached, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from the UK. Anxiously Attached writes, Dear Sam and Sierra, I know everyone starts their letters this way, but I can't tell you how much you have helped me over the last 18 months or so. Listening to you has given me a new level of insight into my own feelings and behaviors, and in turn, I've started to make healthier, happier decisions for myself. Thank you so much. I am a 32-year-old woman in a relationship with a wonderful 30-year-old man. We've been friends for a long time and got together in January of this year. We have great fun, laugh a lot, have shared interests. The sex is brilliant. He's loving, supportive, and cares about me deeply. And his secure attachment style is like a ball on my on my fizzing, anxious one. Here's where the butt normally comes in, and I'm no exception, or I wouldn't be writing. We have quite different personalities when it comes to making decisions, and it's beginning to affect how secure I feel in the relationship. He is methodical, weighing things up and arriving at conclusions slowly. I'm driven by my heart, making decisions based on what feels right and generally working out the details later. Where it's tripping me up is with the big relationship questions. I told him I loved him first. He said that he had started to feel like that, but wasn't totally certain and didn't want to say it back until he was absolutely sure. He was gentle and kind with it, but I still went home and cried for 24 hours only for him to say it to me a week and a half later. Recently, I told him that I wanted to move in together. And again, he told me he isn't ready for that yet. He said he could see us getting there, but wants to be completely sure. I get it. We've both had previous relationships of six years plus, and we both know firsthand how much more complicated breakups are when Mm -hmm. we get shared houses and pets and so on. I know we haven't been together for all that long and I'm not going into this starry-eyed or naive. Whilst my previous relationship ended, I don't regret for a second that we took that step and shared our home for as long as we did. The simple truth is that I am ready and he isn't. The conversation came about because we'd been camping with friends over the weekend and I said how nice it would be to be going back to the same house. When we're sending goodnight texts, he often says he wishes I was there, even if we spent the last three or four nights together. So I thought that we were both on thinking along similar lines." I know Sam has always said that the narratives we tell ourselves aren't real, but my anxious heart is beginning to build this narrative about always being slightly further down the road than he is. I know that it's unlikely two people will ever be on the exact same timeline, but I'm beginning to feel like I'm more certain about the whole relationship than he is, or at least in a different place in it, which is making me feel really vulnerable. He's trying to reassure me, but I'm struggling to hear it. I guess my question is partly how to cope when two people who love each other aren't moving at quite the same speed. And partly how to stop my anxiety, sabotaging this. Neither of us has done anything wrong. Talking about it upsets us both, and I'm not sure there's much left to say. I've told him I don't want to wait years, and I'm not sure what else I can do except try and offer him patience, but I don't know how to put the question back in the box, relax, and enjoy the relationship in the meantime. Any words of wisdom to help me stop fixating on this would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much for reading.
0: Aw, thank you so much for writing. And I'm sorry this is weighing on your heart, your little anxiously attached heart. Um, Mm. I think this is a perfect um, example of an anxious attachment style, especially when nothing on the surface is going wrong. But the inner narrative is one that is literally anxious and saying to its owner (laughs) that... There is something wrong because there's an incompatibility or because he isn't leading the force on the I love you train. He, you know, he's hesitating to move in. Blah, 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 blah. Are you laughing at my love train? Choo-choo, <laughs> choo, yep. motherfucker. Choo-choo. <laughs> yeah,
1: here we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think this is the perfect. I mean, like, I don't know. Honestly, I'd be curious if any of this is relatable to you because this is wildly relatable to me. Just that like your brain, especially in an anxious attachment style can, it honestly feels like self-sabotage because Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's like you cannot, another train metaphor, you can't put the brakes on the train. Like you're, you're like, I know, I know this isn't true. Everything's going well. We had a great date. We're spending time together. Our sex life is brilliant. All of these things and then there's this voice inside your head that says not only is something going to go wrong, but it is wrong right now. And you need to do something actively to stop it, to save yourself, sure. to protect yourself, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would even say, too, like, this also, I think, is probably more universal than just folks with anxious anxious yeah. attachment styles, right? I think a lot of people would react with, with heartbreak or feelings of rejection or feelings of anxiety. If the person that we loved didn't say, I love you back. Or when you, when we're sort of ready to say like, I think we should move in together. And the person's that's like, so I'm true. not there.
0: That's so true. Right. So I,
1: the feelings that you're feeling around that, like aren't bad and they're not irrational. They're not dumb. Like, yeah, those, that's a, that's a big blow to experience. And like, of course you went and cried for a day and a half. Like, yeah, I would have too. Right. <laughs> like, I, as like a securely attached person, also would have been really upset by that. And this idea of like we're having this conversation about what our future looks like. And it seems like we're on the same page, but like not, like that is also a really crunchy, frustrating place to be. And it's it is okay for us to be in crunchy, frustrating places in relationship. And it's okay for us to be frustrated by them. Right. right. Like you're not a you're not doing something wrong if you're hurt by this or if you're upset by this. Right. And so I would say that to relieve you of some of maybe the pressure you're putting on yourself to like get over this quickly, right? Because the the least effective way for us to get over things is by telling ourselves we need to get yeah. over them quickly, right? Totally. Like that usually doesn't work, at least in my experience, that might be someone else's tool that works really well for them. But for me, it, it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And for me specifically, like you said, that this is a universal experience, not just to an anxious attachment style, but. Speaking from that attachment style, I I, I want to add um, like probably my only one specific piece of advice, which is just like telling yourself that to get over this isn't going to work. This is a perfect opportunity to not have to shoulder all of this by yourself. The biggest thing that I've learned in like reflecting on my attachment style and my needs and, and that anxious voice in me is giving myself permission to ask for help in shutting that voice up. I know mm. us anxious attachment people put a lot of pressure on ourselves to work through this anxiety by ourselves, especially because we intellectually often know that it's irrational. Mm. Guess what? People need other people. We can we can be the most secure, logical human beings ever, and we still can benefit from the from help from being seen and spoken to by another human being. Um, so, I really encourage you, if you haven't already, to start opening up to your partner about some of this. I know that there's a huge fear there because. Mm-hmm. The biggest narrative we hear is that like, if you talk about your problems more, you're at a higher risk of pushing your partner away, right? Like if you bring all these things to the light, then he's going to know like how fucked up we are, right? But Mm -hmm. you don't, especially in a relationship like this one, one that's going really well, one that's really building that strong foundation, you don't deserve to have to, you don't have to, let's say that, you don't have to process all of this anxiety and put it to bed by yourself. You can have Mm -hmm. help. And if you really don't feel comfortable talking to your boyfriend about this, I really encourage you to talk to a friend, a therapist, somebody who will help you carry this outside of your body because anxiety runs wild in the dark. It runs wild when you're the only one it's up against, when you're not sharing it, when you're not vocalizing it, when it's just that scary voice in your head. It runs wild. It's like a superhero. And then you say it out loud and someone reflects it back to you or someone points out how... That's not real. And it helps. It doesn't matter how secure or anxious you are. It helps mm-hmm. to, to be seen and listened to by someone else. We all need that.
1: Absolutely. And you can go into that that conversation with your boyfriend saying, I'm not trying to save your, or to to change your decision in this. I'm not trying to lobby you to my side, but I love you and you're my person. And so I want you to know how I'm feeling about this situation. And this is it right? And I don't, I'm not like, I'm not trying to put all of this on you or use this as a tactic to like manipulate you into something else. Right. But I just want you to see that this is really hard for me. And it seems like it's really hard for you too. Yeah. Like, what are you feeling? What's going on in your brain? Yeah. Um, And like remembering too, that like we can have conversations that upset us and those can still be really good conversations wow. to have, right? Like, Walking away from a conversation, being upset by it, doesn't mean that it was a bad conversation or that we did something wrong or that it was the wrong thing to talk about, right? Like we're we're humans, we're gonna be upset. Our partners right. are gonna upset us. We're gonna have feelings that aren't in alignment with their feelings, and it's okay for that to happen. And it's also okay for us to ask to be seen and validated in in the relationship or in the moments that we're uh, or in the feelings that we're feeling, right? And you you say in your letter too that like it feels like you're in a different place with him and it's making you feel really vulnerable. And it's like, yeah, friend, you're being really vulnerable right now. Like you are in a place where you could be hurt. And that's what relationships are. That's what we're asking ourselves to do is to say like, I'm putting myself out there because I know that there is so much uh, abundance in doing that. And it also means that I might be, be hurt. But the fact that you are telling him what you want, the fact that you are, Telling him that you love him and want to be with him is like a beautiful, wonderful thing. And even if he doesn't return, it doesn't mean that it's not beautiful and wonderful. The other thing that I'll just say, too, is that um, I love that you know this much about him and you know that he's sort of methodical and logical and wants to be really sure before he begins things. And I'll say this to you. I don't think you're ever going to be able to change that. Right, like, And I think that's probably one of the reasons why you love him and want Mm. to be with him is because he is this type of way. But you can change your expectations of him and you can change your understanding of what that hemming and hawing means about you and your relationship, right? That's what we can do in relationships. We can't change our partners, but we can sort of change how we understand them. And so the hemming and hawing is probably not about you. It's probably a lot about him. Wow. And so... How can you sort of remind yourself of that by having these types of conversations with him, by reminding yourself that he loves you and that you are having these really difficult but important conversations. And the fact that he doesn't move in, want to move in with you right now probably isn't about you, but more about like, that's a big step. And sometimes yeah. people just need time to process and think and make sure that they're in the right place. And if he never gets there or if you need him to decide now, that's okay too, right? You can also... Decide that this isn't the relationship for you or that he's not. This hemming and hawing is causing so much friction for you that you can't really be there. But I think if you can find some space to just, like, let him do this, tell him how you feel, continue to be in relationship with him, that I think he'll come around.
0: Yeah, and I think this is a perfect um, time to add and maybe the best way to end this letter by saying... Remember, you are in this relationship together, but you're in two totally different relationships. And so Mm -hmm. what you assume X, Y, and Z means doesn't mean the same to him. It's Again, it's the colors Mm -hmm. and numbers equation. (laughs) Right, right. Um, That even what he means when he says, I love you, means something different to him. It doesn't lessen the value. It doesn't weaken that intent. It doesn't make it less romantic, but... You two are in two different relationships, to, so to expect him to function under same timelines or triggers or whatever as you is is exp- is asking for for internal conflict. It's asking for struggle, and that's a hard mm-hmm. thing for us, right? It's a hard thing because it's it's n- there's nothing wrong with like wanting to understand our partners, right? There's nothing wrong sure. in this in this desire to be like. Well, the desire to figure things out, to understand. He didn't say I love you first, which means he logically doesn't love me as much as I love him. Right? Nope. <laughs> nope. That is <laughs> like, like there's nothing wrong with trying to figure it out. But our brains filling in those equations, filling in the, those those questions, often come up with the answers that we would experience or we feel. And that's, exactly. that's not what's happening here. He's in a different relationship with you. And like Sam said, he what you love about him is what is making him hesitate to move in. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to move in or it doesn't mean he's not going to move in. He's just a different person than you. And his timeline, mm-hmm. his threshold for things are different. It doesn't mean that they're less than or more important or more valuable or or mm-hmm. more authentic mm-hmm. even. You each have your own definition of authenticity. And that's okay. I know that's really hard to sit with, but hopefully that brings you a little bit of comfort when you're feeling anxious and alone. And maybe those voices are telling you that something's going wrong. It isn't, it isn't going wrong.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And continue to talk to him, right? Continue to talk to him about what you're feeling and continue to practice that curiosity too, about what he's feeling as well. And recognize exactly what Sierra said, that sometimes our understandings of the world color our expectations of other people or allowed us to read things into other people's behaviors or preferences. And so we have the capability of combating that by being really curious, by asking a lot of questions about what is what's going on for you? Like, what's the holdup? Like, what does this mean for you? Right. Here's what it means for me. Right. And and having those authentic conversations with each other.
0: Absolutely. All right, my darling, anxiously attached, you're in good company and we hope that this helps.
1: Absolutely. We love you.
0: All right, our final letter comes to us from Anonymous, Anonymous, who is writing to us from The Void, whose pronouns are she, her. Trigger warning for homophobia. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I'm writing to you because I'm struggling right now to figure out what to do or how to feel. I'm a 30-year-old and still living with my mom, which I know sounds horrible, but I am essentially my mom's caretaker since she struggles to take care of herself. We have always been really close, but things are different now. I started dating a woman who makes me feel really happy. So I decided to finally come out to my mother. I never knew how to tell her since my family always struggled with communication. Literally nobody knows how to talk to each other. While I knew she wouldn't be super happy at first, I thought she would come around. That certainly has not been the case. I've been dating my girlfriend for over a year and my mom refuses to meet her. When I mention her, my mom either shuts down or has some comment that hurts me. Meanwhile, I have gay friends who she has been totally fine with and happy for. When I mentioned this to her, she responded by saying, well, they're not my kid. Recently, she told me how she won't tell her friends about me and doesn't want everyone in our neighborhood to know because it's embarrassing. She also believes that I just, quote, didn't give men enough of a try. My girlfriend is trying not to push me into anything, but obviously wants us to move in together and start living our life, which I totally want to, but I can't help but want my mom to be a part of my life and to support me. I also still feel guilty not being there for her as I know she gets lonely and relies on me a lot to take care of her. I have tried talking to my mom about the situation multiple times, but it is as if she doesn't understand that what she is saying is hurtful. I'm not really sure what my questions are besides, what do I do? Is there a way to get my mom to be okay with the life I have chosen? Thanks so much for taking the time to even read my letter. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous, thank you so much for writing. And I am so sorry that your mother said such hurtful, unexcusable things to you. It is, I just want to say that explicitly because I know that in especially like family situations, we often put compassion before justifying our hurt. Like we, we can have compassion for the person who says the hurtful thing because we understand, oh, that's how they were raised or, oh, they are just dealing with their own fucking trauma or whatever, but I just want to say straight to you, those things are inexcusable and I'm so sorry that your mother is hurting you like this actively. You don't deserve it and uh, explicitly you deserve better.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I think we, um, I think that there's like a cultural narrative right now about, coming out and and how like coming out is so much easier than it was back in my day or whatever but i think that this letter calls attention to the fact that like the the painful realities of um homophobia still exist and um that it's deeply impacting us and our our relationships with our family um and i'm sorry that you have to go through this and I want you and, and other folks to know that like we, Sierra and I know how difficult coming out is. And we know that there's a array of responses yes. to that coming out. Um, and so I'm sorry that this is the response that you're getting. You don't deserve it. And this does says nothing about you and who you are and the, the way and the people that you love um, and says everything about your mom and the fucked up society that we live in.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And I also want to say before we get into the nitty gritty of it, um, there's nothing wrong with living with your parents. There's nothing yeah, wrong no. <laughs> with living with your parents and there's nothing wrong with living with parents. I would rather shame capitalism for, you know, <laughs> fuck like making it literally impossible to like live on your own in some cities because we don't make enough money to pay off our student loans, car loans, and all the other things that are required to actually get a fucking job in this country. Um, and also, there's nothing wrong with, wrong with living with your parents, especially when our the people in our family are relying on us. There's I just you started your letter by saying this sounds horrible, and I was like, uh, "Wait, I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> there's nothing yeah. about this that sounds horrible, other than the fact that your mother is being homophobic, and you deserve to live your most authentic life. Um, Absolutely,
1: and to like this narrative that we have about people living at home are like pathetic or whatever. Is also like really, really not fun when there are cultural things that might move us to live in multi-generational households. Like that might be a preference that somebody might have. And like there's not an expectation. There's just there shouldn't be an expectation that like you should live on your own, right? Like for whatever reason, however you want to live your life in whatever configuration of family, friends or whatever you want to live your life in is absolutely fine.
0: Yeah, and I think there's, there's such a narrative about it that I, all we know is like, Oh my God, he still lives in his mom's basement, you know? And I, right. I, I mean, accountability moment. I'm sure I've made those jokes, you know? And so there's a whole movie me, about it. Yeah. This is me <laughs> erasing that from my narrative. <laughs> Great. Um, <Same. laughs> all right, anonymous. I want to say that Sam and I are going to give you the best advice we can um, but we're not in your shoes. And most importantly, we know how incredibly complicated the scenario is because you have lots of things pulling at you from different directions. So all of you should do this, but please take our advice as you see fit and recognize that if we urge you to do something and it just feels impossible and it just mm-hmm. feels like a betrayal to who you are authentically, we don't want you to do that thing. Even if we told you to do it, um, absolutely. The, there's no one size fits all piece of advice. And especially in a situation that is as nuanced nuanced as this one, um, just know more than anything, Sam and I just want you to be happy. We just want you to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this situation sucks. <laughs> it does. But also it, it does doesn't. Suck. Let me say that. Maybe, <laughs> let me let me reverse my opinion. Maybe it doesn't suck because like, you're also in love you're also mm. in this great relationship that has surpassed a year anniversary congratulations you and your girlfriend are at a point in which you want to take your relationship to the next step like how awesome and blessed and 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 celebratory should we should that moment be i think what's frustrating about this situation or awful is that there are familial dynamics and living dynamics that are taking the wind out of those celebratory sails so I, maybe I just want to like puff you up again, like put some more wind in them and and tell you that this is a, despite this current circumstances, despite what your mother and maybe your shame is making you feel, this is a beautiful thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that came to mind for me as I was reading this letter is, is that book that I always recommend about um, adult children of emotionally uh, unavailable. Immature. Emotionally immature
0: parents. Do it again.
1: Thank you. Adult children of emotionally immature parents. Um, by Lindsay C. Gibson. Um, and one of the things that I that I will use that frame, what those tools that that book have taught me to talk about some of the elements of your letter, as a way to to say this might be a different way to look at it or a more helpful way to look at it for you. Um, is this idea of you know you say that you talk to your your mom about it multiple times and it just. It's as if she doesn't understand what she's saying is hurtful. And I want to say, yes, she does not understand what she's saying is hurtful. Right. And there is no way, and at least in this moment, and this um, might not be true to your circumstance because I don't know your circumstance, but it sounds like there's no logic there's no logic you can put on her to get her to see this. There is no right. appeal to emotion that you can give to get her to see how hurtful she's being because she is blind to it because of all of her own stuff. Right. She has not seen how hurtful it is because she just can't see outside of her own emotional bubble. Right. And that fucking sucks. Right. Like, let me just so say hard. that. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that as a way of like belittling your pain like it fucking sucks that that is the truth and acknowledging that allows us to grieve the fact that our parents aren't showing up in the way that we want our parents to and the way that they should be honestly the way that they should be caretaking for us for whatever reason offers us an opportunity to have some empathy to say like yep they're trying their hardest and their hardest is shitty but i recognize that they're trying their hardest and to help us temper our expectations of them to say like, this is the best that my mom can do. I can't make it any different. She can't make it any different. And so what do we do with the fact that this is the best I'm gonna get from her? Wow. And I want you to grieve it. I want you to grieve that this is the best because it sucks, That's so. it's so awful that this is the best that she can give you. And then I want you to say, and what am I gonna do about that? Like. How am I going to change the way that I live my life? How am I going to change the way that my own expectations of her? How much am I going to let her into my inner sanctum, knowing that this is the best that she can do?
0: Mm. Yeah. And uh, jumping off of that, your one of your last sentences in the letter is, is there a way to get my mom to be okay with the life that I have chosen? You know what? I'm going to just say no. That's mm. on her. That is her path. Your mm. life path is not about making the people around you who should love you better, accept your most authentic, happiest self. Like that mm. is not your burden. I know that it feels like it. I know that especially as children, we take on our parental pain and carry it as our own wound to heal. But that ultimately, spiritually, in the big picture of your life, there's nothing that you can do that can change your mother's acceptance of you other than like all you are meant to do is live your authenticity, live your Mm -hmm. life to the fullest level that you can. And if she is able, if your mother is able, she will do this growing and healing on her own. In the light of your happiness, in the glow of your authenticity, that is the best thing that you can do is continue Mm -hmm. being wholly who you are. Um, Obviously, there are like the the queer kid in me who came out, right, wants to be like, well, this is what I did to get my dad to be cool. And this is what I did. And this is how I told my parents. And this is how I dealt with my dad's bullshit for however long. I could tell you those Mm -hmm. tactical things. But in the long run, the best thing that I did was to not deny myself who I was. And Mm. we're not talking like, don't want to shame anyone who's in the closet. Everybody knows everybody's life experiences difference. But in this moment, in this scenario with me and my dad, the best thing that I did was to not lessen who I was and particularly my happiness with my partner, you know. I didn't censor or lessen any of that from him, and I didn't expect him to validate it. I didn't look to him to make my happiness any more real than it was. And that's hard. I mean, that's like a huge—that was a huge thing for me to learn and execute. One that I don't mm-hmm. think I could have done in my 20s, to be honest. No, um,
1: abs- Absolutely. But, like, you agree,
0: there's nothing that she can do concretely, right? No. mm -mm.
1: No, I mean, the best way that you can, I think that the best way that you can, can bring your mother along is to live authentically as who you are and say, this is who I am. And if you want to be part of this, then you have to get on board with it. Like, you have to, if you want to continue to love me as your daughter and support me in my life, then you have to see the whole life and you have to support the whole life. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's really the, that long and short of it in many circumstances, right. Recognizing that there are a multitude right. of different ways that people interact with their parents when they come out. And all of those different ways are equally as valid as, as the ways that you and I experience well, are actually, coming out to our parents. Let me
0: jump on that really quickly and just say, a couple of the ways that it could look in the world are you two get to when you guys get together, you choose that you don't want to talk about this part of your life because you mm-hmm. don't want to hear her vitriolic bullshit. Right. That could be, mm-hmm. you know, like that might feel inauthentic, but that could be something that you choose to, like, protect your peace and your energy. You also yep. could tell her, like, listen, I am not going to talk about this part of my life, but it's still going on. Or when I talk about this part of my life, I don't want to hear any comments from you. Also, you can't Mm -hmm. control if there's going to be comments or not, blah, 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 blah. You know, you could, honestly, I know that this is way more complicated than the one sentence that I'm about to say, but you could choose to not have a relationship with your mother. Mm -hmm. That could happen. Um, And I know that that is a thousand times more complicated, especially because she requires a caretaker and because you're your mother and there's all of those ties. But like, like Sam said, people handle coming out to their parents in many ways, especially when the parents are not accepting or not a safe place for your authentic happiness. We have to do what we have to do to maintain that safety and happiness. You deserve that. It's not selfish. It's not, you, you know what is fucking selfish? It's not like loving and accepting your child. <laughs> like I, I'm going to say it. I have empathy and compassion for your mother. I truly do. But mm-hmm. but we're told that as children, or like, especially as queer kids, cutting off toxic parents or toxic family members can be selfish because we're denying them something. Yep. You know what's cruel? It's like denying your child love.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, you talk about in your, in your letter about how you feel guilty about the fact that your mom gets lonely and that, that, you know, she relies on you a lot to take care of her. I also want to flip that a little and say, well, your mom is also pushing her primary caregiver out of her life too, Damn. right? Like she's an actor with choices in this situation too. And there are going to be people who are going to say, fuck that, cut her off. Right. And there are going to be people that say, oh my God, I can't believe that you would consider abandoning your mother. Right. Right. And we also know that the solution to this can be on in any one of those yes. in the middle of those extremes, Yep. right? You're not a bad person. If you continue to to hang out with your homophobic mother, you're yeah. not, you're not a bad person. If you cut her out of your life, because the damage that she's enacting on you is so harmful that, that it's not acceptable. You want to yes. establish that boundary and it's okay. If you find something in the middle, all of those different scenarios that Sierra laid out um, are all possible And it's up to you as a beautiful, wonderful person who got dealt this hand for better or for worse to figure out what that's going to look like for you. But know that Sierra and I trust you to make the decisions that are going to be best for you and they're going to allow you to know and live your authentic self while also understanding that you deeply love your mother, even though she is awful and problematic and that there are that this situation has no right answer. It just has a bunch of decisions that we have to make on a daily, hourly, mm. uh, secondly, se- minutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on with your spirit of molder self. <laughs> <Yeah>,
1: right. A <laughs> uh, second by second basis, right? Yeah. And, and so it's just sticky. It's sticky and crunchy. And that's what life is. And we yes. trust you to do what you can do, knowing that everything about this is complicated and nuanced and tricky
0: anonymous, if it is at all possible, um, I would really encourage you to seek out perhaps a professional, um, uh, resource mental health counselor, therapist, something like that. Um, in fact, I would, if, when I say if it is all possible, I know things can be tight. I know things can be, uh, really fiscally stressful. I would, if it is possible at all, I would stretch it, right? Like I would, I would prioritize this, especially during this time because you are being truly challenged right now and you are on the cusp, right? You are, you are walking through life in this happy, in this happy world of this relationship. And then this relationship with your mother that is fulfilling and painful, right? And Mm -hmm. this, this life experience is one of the most stressful life experiences I've ever gone through. And I did not, have half of the circumstances that you have. Right. Mm. And and we all deserve to have a voice like salmon eyes, but that is actually qualified (laughs) to to talk to you (laughs) once a week or once every two weeks like this to, to remind you of, you know, what is real, what isn't real, um, what is valid, what isn't valid, um, to give you some resources and strategies about how to deal with this. Because like I said, last letter, all people need other people, um, and and this we know how heavy and confusing this is on your heart right now. So, if it is all, all possible, I would heavily suggest getting a therapist at this time because they're gonna they're gonna be your cheerleader. They're gonna be the person. Um, Hopefully that can really help you champion your authentic desires, whatever that may be in this really complicated situation, whether it is having more boundaries with your mother or talking to her in a, in a way that feels more authentic to you and your needs. Like that's what therapists are for. And I if it is at all possible, I would heavily suggest that.
1: All right, Anonymous, thank you so much for writing. Know that we love you deeply and that we have all the faith in the world that you're going to do exactly what you need to do to keep your heart safe.
0: We love you so, so, so much exactly as you are. All right, that brings us to the blind date segment of this episode. Every show, we like to shout out something that we loved. This week, we are sending you home with...
1: A book called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue mm-hmm. by V.E. Schwab. Yes, V.E. Schwab. Um, it's great. It is um, a book that I found using the NPR concierge service, which is something that I also recommended at one point. Um, it's a fantastic story. It's about a um, young woman in like 17th century, 18th century France who makes a deal with the devil, basically to be able to live as long as she wants, as long as no one remembers her as soon Mm. as they like turn away from her. Um, and it is beautifully written. It is like, I don't usually like get out pencils to like underline things in books, Mm. but like this book made me do that. Totally. (laughs) It is like, it is expertly paced in the way that it just sort of like slowly builds and creates this world that she's existed in. Um, it is a love story like it is at the end of the day like a very fulfilling and deeply interesting love story uh it's just like i you know know that i don't often recommend contemporary fiction but like this book was like i i read picked it up and within 20 pages i was like this is this is amazing like there is something that is really important about this book so I really loved it. I would recommend it to everyone. Stick with it because it is kind of slow, but I think that the pacing pays for itself um, and really, like, makes it apparent why it was paced in that way by the time you reach the end. Go in, English lit. Right? (laughs) English major. Absolutely. All right. The book is called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. Oh, also TikTok.
0: Yes, oh so <laughs> that. <laughs> Do you want to tell them about my text thread the other day? Yeah.
1: Sierra went on TikTok for the first time in her life, apparently, to post um, one of our videos and she was like, The videos just don't stop. They're all so loud. It's just like video after video, and everyone's yelling. I
0: think I I said, I opened it and it just screamed at me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, turn the volume down on your phone, first of all. I just
0: wasn't ready for it. I just felt like a thousand years old and accosted. I'm getting used to it. Follow us on TikTok. You can slide into our DM, send us your favorite relationship memes, and most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, where, is, where you can also find a list of our blind dates, all of our blind dates ever, and our merchandise.
1: Please remember to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's Patreon.com slash JustBreakUpPod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice.
0: Original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his music under the name Big Cats. And remember, living your most authentic life isn't always the easiest path. Remember, being authentic can require bravery bravery doesn't mean that you're not afraid or you're not uncomfortable it means leaning in to that tense unknown to find out who you really are because you deserve to know that person and if all else fails
1: just break up